Insights, solutions, and networking all come together at RSA Conference. Join a global cybersecurity community at rsaconference.com forward slash ITSP MAG24. Welcome to the ITSP Magazine Podcast Network. You're listening to a new Redefining Cybersecurity Podcast with Sean Martin. Have you ever thought that we're selling cybersecurity insincerely, buying it indiscriminately, and deploying it ineffectively? Well, perhaps we are. Let's look at how we can organize a successful information security program that integrates business culture with people, process, and technology to drive growth and protect business value. Knowledge is power, now more than ever. Imperva is the cybersecurity leader whose mission is to protect data and all paths to it with a suite of integrated application and data security solutions. Learn more at imperva.com. Devo unlocks the full value of machine data for the world's most instrumented enterprises. The Devo Data Analytics Platform addresses the explosion in volume of machine data and the crushing demands of algorithms and automation. Learn more at devo.com. Everybody, you're very welcome to a new episode of Redefining Cybersecurity here on the ITSP Magazine Podcast Network. This is Sean Martin, your host, where I get to talk all things operationalizing security in business and broader society. And it's easy to get wrapped up in the in the cogs of, of business because that's where a lot of money's made, and there's certainly a lot of attention paid to the the consumer end of cybersecurity with a heavy focus on privacy. And of course, those two intersect. Um, but as you'll hear today, there's a whole sector <laughs> that I think uh, doesn't quite get the attention it deserves. And that's um, our critical infrastructure. And there are many elements of that. There's water and power and waste and, and certainly financial systems, health systems can be lumped into there, depending on what it is, what it is. maybe manufacturing as well, and all, all kinds of stuff, telco maybe transportation, you name it. A lot of things that make us move and connect us all together and keep things running uh, have systems too that tend to have vulnerabilities that can be exploited. And I'm going to talk a bit about that today and kind of the state of critical infrastructure and critical infrastructure security with uh, Mr. Joe Weiss. Joe, thanks for being on the show. Thank you for inviting me. And uh, I'm trying to think how I, I certainly came across uh, control.com, I believe is the, is the domain, uh, controlglobal.com. There we go. And it was one of your posts uh, that, that caught my attention that we're kind of missing the mark on critical infrastructure. And, and when we connected, you then sent another one. <laughs> and, and clearly, there's, there's a lot going on. You mentioned before we started recording, there's even some more news today, perhaps, that, that makes today's conversation even more interesting. Before we get into all of that, uh, Joe, a bit bit of your background, if you wouldn't mind, please give, give folks a sense of who they're hearing from today. Okay, well, I'm uh, a black sheep, if you will, in the cybersecurity world. Uh, I'm actually a nuclear engineer. And until 2000, everything I did was dealing with instrumentation, 
control systems and equipment forensics. In other words, is the turbine working properly? Is the motor uh, degrading? You know, things like that. Uh, and in 2000 is when I helped start the uh, control system cybersecurity program for the electric utilities. And it was a, a, a real shock, both for me going in there and for the industry having me come in, because I look at life as an engineer. It, that is, is cybersecurity going to hurt anything we're doing? Or conversely, can cyber, in a funny sense, help us? But I'm not worried about, if you will, a vulnerability here, there, or wherever. I'm worried about, has a motor been impacted? Has a valve been impacted? Has an electric transformer been impacted? So my life is looking at impacts, not vulnerabilities. And then trying to figure out what we do from there and also how we can use it to improve reliability and safety. I love it. And um, yeah, I think another, I'm generalizing here because I know there are people that, that do take different, uh, put on different glasses and look through things through different lenses. But um, yeah, it's easy to focus on what it does and what it's supposed to do and where it isn't doing that accurately. But then the other side of that equation is what you just described, which is well, what what's the impact of that, right? So what's the if that motor is burnt out, or if that valve gets frozen or or melted because it's over overworked because of a compromise, um, that's the real problem, right? And and so this is it's for me it's interesting because you have the digital connecting to the kinetic and Presumably, you have to have strong resilience in the mechanical end of things um, with an understanding of resilience in the digital and how those two interplay, right? And, and, and I, I'll add one other point because you started okay. with the digital connecting to the kinetic. In reality, what we really have is Mother Nature, which is analog. Actually, you know, connecting with kinetic and in, in between mother nature and analog is where digital and if you will, cyber come in. But what's been missing is really, you know, that, that front end, which is, uh, I use the term mother nature, but it's like, um, the fact that something is heating up. That's mother nature, okay? And when something heats up, it has a physical impact. When it heats up, it's, it's analog. What's happening is it has to get converted electronically. This is again where, you know, cyber comes in, et cetera. You know, into, if you will, digital and from there to ethernet packets, which is really what puts it on to you know, where people start paying attention because <clears throat> the network says things are going on. What's missing is the very front end, you know, should something be heating up? Is it truly heating up? And why is it heating up? And that's the part you don't see 
in the normal world of cybersecurity. And that's and also where sophisticated attackers will come in because you can't see it. And I'm, I'm curious, and this might be a slight tangent, but do we have visibility into that information? Are there sensors on these things where we can, where we can see that, that mother nature view? Yes. Yeah. Now, is it common to use it? Because there are two things. Okay. Number one, we have sensors there. In other words, we, we are looking constantly in the engineering world not in the cyber world, in the engineering world. We're looking at pressure and temperature and flow and uh, um, uh, voltage and current and position. I mean, you think about in an office where you have all of these, uh, you know, uh, you know um, sensors uh, monitoring movement in order to turn lights on or off in an office. You know, there's... All of this stuff, it's called the invisible visible. Mm. It's there all over. You just don't pay any attention to it because it's just part of the background. You know, there, these, these, these sensors are not something you pay attention to. Right. The cyber world normally doesn't pay any attention to anything that doesn't look like it has a keyboard or a cell, cell phone type of thing. Right. Can you, can you paint a picture? for me and for, for our audience of, I know there's probably no typical um, example, but I don't know, pick, pick some critical infrastructure. It could be power generating station. It could be power storage. I don't know. So, pick something, water treatment. Mm -hmm. um, pick something there and kind of describe what kinds of systems exist there and what how many sensors there might be. I don't know, can, you, can you paint? The picture there so yeah. we can kind of grasp so, what we're yeah if you're talking about say <clears throat> a large power plant or say a refinery they can have on the order of 25 to 35 or 40 thousand sensors and what they're doing is in real time measuring like I say, pressures and levels and flows and temperatures and valve position or, um, like I say, voltage, current, all the physical state of the world is being measured in real time. So this is, you know, like I say, millisecond, microseconds to milliseconds. All of this is being measured. It's being sent electronically off to controllers, the controllers have been pre-programmed to basically say, I want to keep this tank of water at 80 degrees. So I'm monitoring the temperatures and pressures and pump speeds and everything else, all to make sure that I keep that tank of water at 80 degrees. If my sensors start telling me, hey, I'm now at 85 degrees, then the controllers are going to automatically, based on the sensors, say reduce pump speed or reduce a heater or whatever to bring the temperature back from 85 to 80. The flip side is if I'm at 75 degrees, I'm going to 
say, increase pump speed or increase a heater or whatever, because I want to be at 80. Well, I'm doing that constantly in real time. <clears throat> the other point I think that's important is the operator who's monitoring this, you know, who's sitting in front of generally a bunch of Windows screens, is going to see what's happening, but <clears throat> seconds to minutes later, he's not seeing what's happening instantaneously. So what's different is <clears throat> the operator really is not controlling keeping that tank of water at 80 degrees. These control systems are automatically doing that and feeding that information back to the operator. So if anything happens with those sensors or those controllers, those actions are going to occur, occur right or wrong. That's why you worry about cyber, right or wrong, before that operator ever sees it or has a chance to correct it. And what's happening today is the focus of cybersecurity is not on those sensors and the controllers that are trying to keep this tank of water at, at 80 degrees. The focus of cybersecurity is on those Windows screens that the operator is looking at that are, you know, seconds to minutes old and may or may not even be providing accurate information. And so much of what the cybersecurity world is pushing is not, if you will, coincident with what you're trying to actually do in the physics world. That's a really big part of our problem. And I want to take it a step further. This problem starts in our education institutions. And that is, if you're going into cybersecurity, that's in computer science. Very, very few universities require that if you're uh, in computer science that you have to take any engineering courses, even a basic introduction to engineering. So the people coming out of universities into the cybersecurity world are I hate to use the term clueless about engineering. The flip side is those people in the engineering disciplines, whether it's electrical or mechanical or chemical or nuclear or systems, aerospace, name it. Again, this is never say never, never say always, but by far and away, the vast majority of universities do not require anybody in an engineering discipline to take an introductory course in cybersecurity. So here we have these two worlds, each trying to do something different. And in reality, what they're both trying to do is almost mutually exclusive. The cybersecurity world wants to lock everything down strictly on a need to know and, um, you know, essentially shut down if, if you feel that there's been a compromise somewhere. The engineering world is all about 
safety, reliability, productivity. And to do that, you really want open interoperable systems, which is kind of a no-no for cyber. Um, they want, uh, you know, you've got uh, engineering experts who don't feel cyber is applies to them. You have the cyber world who feels everything is about the bits and bytes. And the fact that a motor is heating up has nothing to do with what they're doing. And this situation is not getting better. It's getting much worse. I want to talk a bit about that because before we started recording, you mentioned uh, you had me reminiscing about uh, about visiting the, the big yellow campus there in Northern California where I used to work. And uh, you, you told me a story about traveling around to different entities to talk about this. Yeah. Well, when I start, started, start yeah, when I started or helped start anyways, the control system cybersecurity program, this is in 2000. Okay. I was at the Electric Power Research Institute. I was the technical manager of the program. And EPRI's in Palo Alto, you know, Symantec, Trend Micro, HP, you know, I keep on going. You know, all of the all of the old names are here in Silicon Valley. So I didn't have to get on an airplane. You know, what I did is I basically got on a car or I walked down the hill, for example, going to Park, Palo Alto Research Center. You know, I'm going to all of these big names in the world of cyber going, you know, with industrial strength knee pads so I can beg and plead, would you please work with us on cybersecurity of these infrastructures? And each and every one said, well, let's see, are you using um, Windows? Or are you using, you know, all of this standard IT stuff? And their interest was in protecting servers because that, their life, that's like I say, what you did at Symantec. Um, you start talking about a pump, a valve, a sensor, an actuator, and I had to bring pictures and spell out, that's what this stuff is. This is not, you know, neither side was talking to the other. The ultimate irony is that in every one of their buildings, in every building, you have sensors measuring temperature and pressure and flows and 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 uh, humidity and, and and security operations centers and labs uh, oh, with and power, every, power backups and <laughs> generators. All of that. And so the the exactly. ultimate irony is that the cybersecurity world is worried about the bits and bytes of data. The engineering world is worried about the physics and the process. And they don't talk to each other. So here you have all of these engineers or facility people worried about keeping the data center uh, at the right temperatures, you know, and, and have, you know, the right cooling and everything else. But the whole focus of a data center is the servers and the data. Yet we've had many, in fact, 
between August 30th and October 14th, there have been three major data centers worldwide shut down because of control system cyber issues. And none of them were actually identified as being cyber related. They were all called mechanical failures, hmm. which also meant there was no cyber incident response initiated, anything. Yet these issues took those data centers down for hours. And in one case in Singapore, it took out Deutsche Bank and Citibank's operations for something like, I think it was four hours or so. Wow. So these are private, private entities, commercial entities supporting data centers that support other businesses and you mentioned financial yeah or or you know yeah keeping keeping you know air conditioning going or keeping power going or keeping water going is something not only needed for private it's needed for every government operation you know this is what keeps our you know way of life going so what um I mean, we could probably pick apart all the all the places where, I mean, in, in, in the traditional IT world, the, the core conversation is around connecting security to the business. Yes. And there's a huge gap there. What I'm hearing here is connecting security to the, uh, the operations. Yes. Connecting security to safety, basically. <laughs> and um, so how, how do you see a path forward. You mentioned education earlier. I think that, gonna, that's probably one area, but where, where do you see we need to make some changes? I'm going to give you a, a, an example okay. of something that's actually happened. We actually wrote it up. It's in the November 2022 issue of IEEE Computer Magazine. So what I'm telling you about is a real project <clears throat> with real results and why it worked. In other words, why we were able to do this. And the flip side, which is where everybody else is, shows you this gap of where we are versus where we should be. This was a billion-dollar manufacturing facility. And the Windows displays said everything was working normally. But the plant people felt they were very uncomfortable. Everything seemed to be working properly. But it, you know, the, the gut feeling thing that this doesn't feel right. So they did a project. And they basically took one of the manufacturing lines in this, like I say, billion dollar facility. <clears throat> and this manufacturing line had 16 sensors. They were measuring pressure, temperature, flow, motor amperage. In other words, if you will, you know, the uh, current in the motors, you know, is it going up, down, whatever. Valve position and vibration. Now, that's typical of every single facility in the world of any type. And what was done here, which is what was different, is there's several 
there's a couple of types of technologies. I'm not going to name any names, but I'm going to just talk about the type of technology. This particular one that was picked was looking at the raw physics of the sensor reading. So what they were looking at, and I'm going to sound propeller head techie for a minute. They were looking okay. at the 4 to 20 milliamp current readings. So they weren't looking at pressures or temperatures or flows. They were looking at the physical response of the sensor. And then, the, again, this is a year ago, February, so this predates chat GPT. But they were using machine learning to take those values, those physics values, and try to understand really was the real ground truth measurements, were they the same as what you were seeing on the Windows displays in the, in the control room? Because if they were, then, you know, hey, people with your, you know, queasy feelings, you know, suck it up, it's real. What we found, and this is part of the reason this is written up in this IEEE Computer Magazine article, more than half of those sensors were either inoperable or out of calibration, meaning they were not accurate. Only the Windows displays didn't see any of that. You know, major, major, oh my God, what is right. this? Okay, the next thing that was done is they were looking at the main pumps, what are called main feed pumps, which are, you know, feeding the process. And when they looked at the operator displays, everything seemed normal. When they started looking at the raw physics of, those sig of the signals, what they found was, the pumps were having real problems, but it was occurring in seconds to less than a minute. It was too fast for Windows to see it. Windows had no idea. There wasn't a problem with Windows. Windows was never meant to be an engineering tool. Well, the next thing that was done was <clears throat> doing a real, extrapolating what was found in that one line and extrapolating it to the facility, and then doing a very, very, very detailed cost impact analysis of what we were finding. And what we found was this billion dollar facility was taking a 3% hit on net productivity because the sensors and the systems weren't working as they should. Now, again, the reason this is in IEEE is a couple reasons. Number one, here's real dollars associated. Number two, the sensors are the input to every network cybersecurity monitoring program. So it's basically saying, guess what? All of your cybersecurity monitoring is based on untrusted or wrong data. The other thing, and that's where I was coming from too, because this program was called a productivity program, corporate was involved, 
engineering plant management was involved, all of engineering was involved, and cybersecurity was involved. If this would have been called the cybersecurity program, not one of them would have been involved. Yeah, interesting. So again, this is why this is in the, you know, like I say, IEEE Computer Magazine. Uh, again, for what it's worth, just deviating for a minute, we have an article that's supposed to be in the December issue, like this month's issue of IEEE Computer, and it's about the data centers and their shutdowns. So what we're looking at is this gap that is, and by the way, none of this has to be malicious. As an engineer, I don't care whether, quote unquote, it's unintentional that you're losing 3% in net productivity or because somebody is hacking you to lose that 3%. Because at my level, it doesn't matter. Yep. And I want to take it one step further. <clears throat> and this is part of the problem. In Again, I'm going to make a general statement. In the cybersecurity world, to cybersecurity people, if you can't tell them it's malicious, they simply don't care. What <clears throat> Stuxnet, if you rem remember what Stuxnet was, you know, for those who don't, that's, you know, attacking the centrifuges in, in, in Iran. What they did is they made a cyber attack look like an equipment malfunction. Because of that, it was literally more than a year that those centrifuges were being damaged or destroyed until that uh, PC was sent to Belarus and they found this, you know, some software issues in it. Nobody ever thought to say, hey, is this misoperation of the centrifuges cyber? It was just assumed to be systemic malfunctions, design malfunctions. And by the way, that is what is going on um, where Iran is going, where China is going, where Russia is going. You know, if you want to cause damage, you go that direction because nobody's going to see it. The engineers are going to see it as a problem. The cyber people are going to not see it because there's no anomaly on my network. So let's, so in the example you, you gave the first IEEE, the November edition, um, mm -hmm. it wasn't until they did a, a side view of it that yes. they spot the, the 3%. So, Presumably, there were networking issues, scalability issues, and the overall system that just weren't, th those anomalies weren't flagged. Correct. Um, clearly, when uh, when things in the, the other example, the, the second IEEE that you're putting out, um, well, I don't know if it's that, but the other case you just gave where things actually started to fail, mm -hmm. um, that's easier to spot. Um, it is by the engineers. Right. So that, that's where I was going with this. So let's assume for a moment, we'll go back to the, we can't spot it yet in a minute, but let's assume for a moment, we, we see something. Um, 
how do we how do we get to a point where and does it matter because well do, by do the way, we, how, how do we bring the teams together to, to actually figure out what's going yeah. on these are phenomenal questions yeah what you're asking is what we've been asking for the past, almost past 25 years um when we first started the EPRI program we thought of this term called donut diplomacy which was gee have the engineers go have coffee and donuts with the IT or vice versa and one would think that would have been all that mattered wrong that's why we're still in this position we're in today okay where's where's the breakdown then um you know, one of the things that's missing is a psychologist in all of this to say, why in the world are these two wor <laughs> worlds not willing to accept each other? Now, <clears throat> I'll give you one other too. Cyber lives with network or security operation centers. It is monitoring in real time all of the internet protocol networks. Well, again, where the it, the, if you will, engineering or control system world starts is with <clears throat> serial or point-to-point -point networks that eventually become, you know, your internet protocol networks. Only that's not looked at. And you can't find that in a, you know, in a network operation center. Meanwhile, <clears throat> in the engineering world, you have a control room, or a control center, and you'll see just screens everywhere. And what they're looking at are, you know, um, you know, pressures, level flows, temperatures, you know, uh, voltage and current flows, you know, it's an engineering center. Quite often, these two centers may be separated by miles, states, or countries, and I'm not being facetious when I say they could be separated by countries. So what's happening- And, and by like, operating system, and by network, and by- <laughs> by, by everything, okay? So what's happened is when in a control room, you start to see a pump, you know, uh, you know, starting to heat up or uh, I should say a motor starting to heat up or you, you, you start to see a decrease in amperage or something. In other words, a physical issue that you start seeing in the control room. The network operating center is generally blind to that because that's not affecting any bits or bytes. Meanwhile, where you're in the network control center, and you start to see bits and bytes starting to go on, how many times does somebody there call up somebody in a control center saying, hey, are you having any problems today? That almost, you know, I'll, I'll rephrase it, that rarely, rarely happens. And so <clears throat> these two worlds, and that's what they are, you can almost say these two universes are operating in parallel and oftentimes divergently because I remember going to, I had to give a presentation here in the Bay Area um, a number of years ago. 
<clears throat> and a utility person showed up because they were told they needed to hear what I was saying. And we ended up going to lunch afterwards. And this is the cybersecurity lead. And I asked them, <clears throat> and remember, this is an, for an electric utility. And the question is, if there were a cyber issue and the and the only way we could keep the lights on was to open up the firewall. Would you open up the firewall? You know what the answer was? No. He'd rather have lights go out because that's what he was measured on mm -hmm. than to have his firewall open. One of the issues we have, the engineers have no KPIs and you know no metrics or anything in terms of cybersecurity. The network people have no metrics for the fact that if you're an electric utility, your operating reliability is being affected. So let me let me ask you this, Joe, because I I mean I I uh, I you nerd out on uh, on. Uh, sensor technology <laughs> when you went had a little bit of fun there i nerd out on risk management and i'm just wondering to, to me there has to be an entity above it and ot ics uh or yeah ci uh, worlds that look at risk because to, to your example of the security lead and electrical organization they're measured on protecting the infrastructure, even at the cost of service delivery, that doesn't seem right. I don't know that he would have the ability to make that decision and, and have it stick, well, which is kind of my point. There has to be somebody that oversees the whole kit and caboodle that says, here are our objectives, here's the risk, here's what we're willing to tolerate, here are the decisions that follow because of that. Does that not exist? Not well. And, okay. and this is one of the things I've been pushing with insurance companies and credit rating agencies. And take it back for a minute. Risk is frequency times consequence. In the control system world, there's only two numbers we don't know. Frequency and consequence. Okay. Now, <clears throat> the other point is when it comes to cyber, Who's responsible? The CISO. Here's the issue. The CISO has no responsibility or ownership of a single piece of equipment. The CISO doesn't own the turbine, the transformer, the relays, the pumps, anything. Meanwhile, the person who does own all of that is kept out of the loop because he or she is not a cyber person. So when those discussions occur with the risk manager and the C-suite in the board, who's in there? The cyber people. The system is broken. And that's what you're seeing, in a sense, play out today, like with the Unitronics issue. The people that understand the engineering piece are not involved. The people who understand the network piece are the ones making all of these decisions. 
And in the Unitronics case, this is a control system. It is not a router, a switch, a firewall, or anything else. But the decisions being made are made as if that controller was the same as a firewall or a switch, and it's not. And so without trying to go into any more detail, the guidance that is coming out is simply inappropriate. Yeah, it needs a boost in some areas, for sure. Needs a boost. So I'm going to, funny enough, that was the driver for <laughs> this conversation, but you and I agreed to kind of broaden the, broaden the conversation out a bit, which I'm very grateful for, and I think a lot of people listening will be as well. Uh, but I'm going to link to the, the original article and the, and the subsequent one that you shared with me on, on the Unitronics piece so people can look at that and, and dig into more detail there. I, I'd like to, Joe, I'm, I'm like uh, impressed, curious, I don't know what the right word is, Control Global. You, you write a ton of stuff there. Can you give me an overview? I mean, because it – let me just go there quickly because there – if you click on the drop down, there's measure, control, manipulate, visualize, network, manage, protect. All these categories have six to 10 items underneath them. And you contribute to some, many, yeah. a lot. I don't know. Yeah. Can, can you give me an overview of what, what's going on there? Because it, it, I'm fascinated. That's the word I'm looking for. Fascinated okay. by what you're doing. So let me. And the work you're yeah. writing about, which is very let good. Me, let me explain also one other thing. I wear two hats. One is my daily work hat. I'm an independent consultant. I, you know, my company is Applied Control Solutions. I have a pro bono hat where I'm the managing director of the International Standards on Control System Cyber. Because I'm a huge company of one, being able to maintain, you know, a, a blog site of this consequence is, is a, a difficult thing. So Control Magazine has allowed me to use their site to blog. So Control Global is simply my blog site. And unfortunately, by the way, that's got me into trouble because there are a number of other magazines and others who feel that I work for them for control, and I don't. I'm an independent consultant. They just happen to give me that spot and maintain that website for me. So I just wanted to clarify. No, I'm glad you did. What that is, is this is arguably one of the only places you'll find which is the engineer's view of cybersecurity. Yep. And that's what makes it so different is because these worlds are still not working together because their goals are different. And in a lot of instances, they're mutually exclusive. And we have to get, we have to break that. And so far it's not happening. Well, Joe, this, this has been fantastic. And yeah, that what you just described, the engineer's view of cybersecurity um, is, is what caught my attention. <laughs> you articulated it better than I was thinking it. And um, 
you're you're very prolific there and i was cruising through some of your some of your articles very detailed and uh certainly it's clear you have you've been doing this for a few days you have a bit of knowledge there and uh, experience of what's going on and i appreciate what you're doing and i i want to thank you for joining me today and who knows maybe maybe you'll be back in a few months or something we can we can talk about some important updates hopefully there's something interesting and a positive note to uh to talk about in the, in the new year so thank you joe sean thank you for the invite and hope to do it again later absolutely and for everybody listening uh i'll link to uh the the two articles i mentioned perhaps joe can share with us the ai triple e uh, links, uh, the one that's coming or one that exists and one that's coming. I'll add it to it and, uh, appreciate y'all listening and watching. Please, uh, share with your friends and enemies and, uh, subscribe and enjoy. And most importantly, think thanks everybody. Thanks, Joe. Thank you very much. Devo unlocks the full value of machine data for the world's most instrumented enterprises. The Devo Data Analytics Platform addresses the explosion in volume of machine data and the crushing demands of algorithms and automation. Learn more at Devo.com. Imperva is the cybersecurity leader whose mission is to protect data and all paths to it with a suite of integrated application and data security solutions. Learn more at imperva.com. We hope you enjoyed this episode of Redefining Cybersecurity with Sean Martin, part of the ITSP Magazine Podcast Network. If you learned something new and this conversation made you think, then share this show and itspmagazine.com with your friends, family, and colleagues. If you represent a company and wish to connect your brand with our conversations, you can sponsor one or more of our podcast channels. We hope you will come back for more stories and follow us on our journey. You can always find us at the intersection of technology, cybersecurity, and society. Insights, solutions, and networking all come together at RSA Conference. Join a global cybersecurity community at rsaconference.com forward slash ITSP MAG24.